You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. We're in the Christmas season, and that's just uh, one of of the seasons that I I don't really get very excited about. I get called a Grinch a lot of times, or Scrooge, or Scrooge Grinch, or however you want to say it. And it's not that I don't like Christmas. I love the the celebration. I just don't like spending money. And I don't like doing extra work to put up decorations. So it's really a selfish thing. I just don't really get into the whole spirit. But my prayer is that through this series, that even in the midst of all the busyness that's going on, we can realign our focus on Jesus. We can really realign our focus on the reason that we're even celebrating to start with. So uh, we're going to look at two passages in parallel this morning. We'll be in Isaiah 7 and Matthew 1. And as we begin to unpack the the prophecy of the birth of Jesus, um, I want us to, to take some some points away from this that we can use even today all the way in December of 2020. Now, this has been a crazy year. Can I get an amen? 2020 has been crazy. But here's the cool thing about God's Word is that it's timeless and that its truth and that its transforming power is still evident today. And my prayer for us is that as we dig into these two passages, that we can really grab some things out of here that we can apply to our lives and that we can find hope and encouragement in this morning. So have you ever been, have you ever been talking to someone and they're explaining to you how to do something that you don't know how to do? So for instance, somebody could be telling you how to fix something on your car and you have no idea like me about cars. And you're listening to them. And as they're talking, you're like, yeah, man, I got this. Like, it's good. I'm I'm understanding. I'm really picking up what you're laying down. Only to realize that when you actually go to fix the car, it's like, man, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't even remember what he said. I don't even know if it's under the hood or not. Like, I just don't have a clue. And that happens to me often. That somebody is telling me how to do something that I don't know how to do. And in my stubbornness, I act like I understand, and then I go try to do it, and I really have no clue, and I end up messing everything up. It may just be me, but I'm sure that you've been there at some point. And I'm afraid that that's how we treat Christmas. So let me explain that to you just a little bit. We can say, man, we are going to remember the reason for the season. Or let's keep Christ in Christmas. We, we see that, we hear that, and we may even say that. But do we really understand what it is that we're celebrating? Do we really understand what it means for God to be with us? And that's what I want us to look at in this series, is that it's not just some fancy saying. It's not just that we can walk around and say, yeah, you know what, I remember the reason for the season. I want us to, to get to a point and our spiritual walk, that the Christmas season is a time of celebrating who God is 
and what God has done and what God continues to do. I want us to get to a point where we truly understand what it means when the Bible says that God was sent to us to be with us and to ultimately sacrifice for us. And that's what it's all about. So as we look through these two passages, I want us to to see this. So we'll be in Isaiah chapter 7, and I want us to pray together before we jump in. And then I want to give you some context, but let's pray. God, I just, I love you. I thank you that we continuously have a chance to meet together. That we continuously have the opportunity to, to walk into this building, to sing songs of worship and praise and adoration to you, to dig into your word so that we can get some truth and some power and some transformation. God, and I thank you that the Spirit is in our midst this morning. God, I pray that you move through him. God, I pray that lives are changed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So some context, what I don't want to do this morning is I don't want to overload you with information about the the historical context of Isaiah 7. But at the same time, context is king, and I think that it's very important for us to know when Isaiah gives this prophecy about the coming Messiah, about God sending his son, that we truly understand what is happening in this time frame because I think it will give us the the understanding of what was taking place and how significant this prophecy was. So if you look here in Isaiah 7, it begins with the kingdom of Judah in a crisis. We have the Hebrew people split into two groups. We have Israel and we have Judah. Both groups have struggled to remain faithful to God. Both groups are exiled. And then Israel and Aram are now trying to invade Jerusalem, which is the capital city of Judah. So we have two groups of people. We have Judah and we have Israel. And now Israel and another little alliance are teaming up to invade Judah. So we have a a people in Judah who are now in a place of concern. They are now in a place of anxiety. They are worried about this invasion because they know that if this takes place, then they're going to be destroyed. So that's how chapter 7 begins. And we see that Judah's king, Ahaz, is nervous. In fact, in verse 2 it says this, When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So it's in the midst of this anxiety, in the midst of this nervousness, in the midst of this fear that the prophet Isaiah comes and reveals the prophecy of the coming Savior. It's in the midst of people feeling lost and confused and hopeless and helpless that God says, hey, don't worry about that because I'm coming. Don't worry about that because I'm coming to take care of it. Don't worry about that because I have a plan. And we see in verse 4, 
God's talking to Isaiah and he says, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. God is assuring Ahaz that he will be okay. Yes, things around you may look chaotic. Things around you may seem like there's no escape. Things around you may be overwhelming. You may have fear. You may feel all alone. But I want you to know that it's going to be okay. And this is what God is saying in the middle of all of this. And we see in verse 7, it says, Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. So God is telling King Ahaz, hey, this isn't going to happen. You're not going to be invaded. You're not going to be destroyed by this alliance. I want you to just trust me. In fact, God goes even farther than that. We see in verses 10 through 12, it says, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to test. Listen, God not only says it's going to be okay, not only says that, hey, this bad stuff's not going to happen, it's not going to destroy you, but he says, hey, show me that you trust me, and let me show you my faithfulness. Ask me for a sign. Ask me to prove my faithfulness to you, and I will be more than glad to show you how I'm going to come through. And Ahaz says, no, no, no. I'm not going to ask for a sign. I'm not going to put the Lord to a test. And how holy and amazing that answer sounds. This holy, amazing, upright king Ahaz. When in fact, Ahaz was no fan of God, no follower of God, and a wicked and corrupt king. So we, we can ask the question, then why does he say, I'm not going to put the Lord to test? Why does he say that? And there's a lot of different reasons, but one is he didn't even know God. He cared nothing about God. And we see that in the life of Ahaz in 2 Kings chapter 16. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And this is what kind of king he was. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God and his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Ahaz was not a good king. He was not a godly person. He did not fear God whatsoever. So God coming and saying, hey, I am your God. I am your Lord. Ask me for a sign, and I will give it to you. And Ahaz, his response is, no. I don't want your help, and I'm not going to ask. He doesn't say, I'm not going to ask my God for a sign. He says, I'm not going to ask the Lord for a sign. So we have an evil, corrupt king, nervous, filled with fear, his entire empire is shaking at the thought of being invaded and destroyed and ultimately 
done away with. And it's in the midst of this. It's in the midst of this chaos. In the midst of this unwanted and unwelcome situation that God brings this prophecy through Isaiah. And you may say, well, why is is any of that even important? We're supposed to be talking about the Christmas season. We're supposed to be talking about baby Jesus and how, man, Jesus came and was born. But man, we must understand the context before we can just throw out the prophecy of Isaiah. And the context is, man, their lives were not much different than our lives. Because if we can be honest and examine where we are, man, there's chaos all around us. Man, there's fear and there's anxiety. And God is saying, hey, trust me. And I want you to trust me. And so often, we choose to trust someone or something else. So often, we make alliances with our own empires that we don't trust who God is and what God wants to do through our situation. And King Ahaz did the same thing. In 2 Kings 16, 7, it says, So Ahaz sent messengers to tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. So we see that God offers help. God says, reach out to me. God says, trust me. And King Ahaz goes to a different empire and makes a different alliance for help. He says, hey, I'm your servant now. I'll do whatever you want me to do, but come and protect us from this attack. And what happens? They come and they protect him against the attack. They defeat Israel and Aram. And for a moment, Judah is spared. And then at the end of Isaiah 7, we see that this very same empire that King Ahaz made an alliance with then turns on Judah and destroys them. Because when we make alliances apart from God, they will be destroyed. And we will be destroyed in the process. And this is the context This is the context of the prophecy. And I don't know if you've ever tried to carry like an armful of stuff up the stairs all by yourself because, man, as men, that's what we like to do. And it's really big with groceries, right? One, we're lazy and we don't want to make multiple trips, so we just put as many bags as we can and like the circulation's getting cut off from fingertips because there's just bags everywhere and we're walking and I can't tell you how many times that I've either dropped a bag that shouldn't be dropped with some type of glass in it that breaks or that I trip when I'm walking in the door and although there's help all around I have kids I have a wife no I want to do it by myself Man, I got this. I'm strong, and I can do it. 
Man, and a lot of times, man, that's how we are in life. Man, God is there offering guidance and wisdom. God is there offering himself for us. And we say, no, I got this. And I'm strong enough to handle this myself. Let me carry the burden alone. Let me carry the anxiety. Let me carry the fear. Let me carry everything. If I can't carry it, I'll make an alliance with someone else. But I don't need your help. And so often that's our response to God. Then we see Isaiah 7, 13. Isaiah switches from talking to just the king to talking to all the people. He says, and he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? God's people are in a dark time of rebellion and judgment. God's people are in a situation where they're stricken with fear, anxiety, and helplessness. And that's when God shows up. I want you to know something this morning. That God is always on time. That God is never late. That God is never early. That God is always on time. It's in the midst of this that we see in Isaiah 7, 14, that it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Man, without getting too deep into the seminary theology aspect of this, this is a, what they call a dual prophecy where Isaiah was saying, hey, there's going to be a young woman that gives birth to a son that's going to help save you, and this was going to be right then. But also at the same time, he's referring to Jesus who would be born later by the Virgin Mary to save the world. God shows up. Isaiah is highlighting the power to do the miraculous. He's highlighting God's faithfulness. He's highlighting God's power to change circumstances. God's power to change lives. God's power to change the world. And if we think about some crazy, horrible circumstances, we jump to Matthew 1 where we see a parallel story here and we see Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. Starting in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with 
us. Man, so here we have Joseph engaged to a young girl. And before they come together in a relationship, she's pregnant. And Joseph is like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, there's no way that this baby could be mine. So obviously, my fiance has cheated on me. So I love her enough where I don't want her to, to be shamed and to go through the, the public humility. So I'm going to quietly divorce her. I'm going to step away. And I'm just going to allow her to live her life. Man, I can't imagine. It's like kind of a, a Jerry Springer episode or Ma the Mari show. And they get this DNA test back and it's like, Joseph, you are not the father. It's like, well, you know what? I'm done with her then, right? How could she do this to me? And then an angel of the Lord appears and tells Joseph, hey, you, you could take Mary to be your wife. She's still pure. She's still holy. The child that she has is from the Holy Spirit. Man, and this is to fulfill the prophecy given in Isaiah 7. Where it says a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Man, so here we have parallel stories where we have a, an empire, a group of people in Judah who are in the midst of rebellion, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of a dark time in their history, about to be attacked and destroyed. And God shows up. God gives them a sign. God gives them hope. And that's the first thing I want to point out this morning. God with us means that there's hope for the helpless. That there's hope for the helpless. And can you imagine how Joseph felt when his fiance became pregnant, when he knew for a fact that it couldn't be his? And I can just imagine the way that he felt in his, in his heart and how helpless that he felt and how hurt he was. And then God shows up. And there's times in our life where we feel that same exact way. Or where we feel helpless. Feel like no one else cares. Feels like no one else is around, and we have no way out, no way of escape, and then God shows up. God with us means that there's help. There's hope for the helpless and the hopeless. And God with us also means that there's restoration for the rebellious. And we see that this, this whole group of people were rebelling against God, that they had been exiled, that they weren't living right, that they were worshiping idols. We see that their relationship with God had deteriorated and they weren't worshiping Him. And even in the midst of that rebelliousness, 
in the midst of that rebellion, God shows up. And he does the same thing for us. Even in the midst of our rebellion, even in the midst of us walking away from God, even in the midst of us not caring about him, not trusting him, not living for him, he says, I love you and here I am. God with us means that there's restoration for the rebellious. And he brings restoration to our lives. God with us also means that there's light for the lost. And in the midst of darkness, God shows up. When we can't seem to find our way, man, God shows up. God with us is more than December 25th celebration. December 25th, let me just give you some knowledge. Isn't the day that Jesus was born? I'm okay with the celebration on December 25th. So don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm fine with that. But I just want you to know that that wasn't, that's not Jesus' birthday. The point of the celebration of Christmas is that we get to celebrate the fact that God sent his son Jesus to live on earth. To live a perfect life so that he could be crucified on a cross so that he could save his people from their sin. That's what Christmas is about. That's where our focus should be in the darkness of sin, in the darkness of the world, God showed up and he said, hey, I'm sending you the light of the world. I'm sending you a way to be found. We see in John 18, 12, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And have you ever walked into a dark room and you really, you can't see anything at first? So say you're coming from a room that's well lit to a very dark room. Right when you walk in, it just, you can't see anything. Your eyes haven't adjusted to the darkness. And if you go to bed kind of late like I do, your wife's already asleep and you don't want to wake her up. So there's no flipping lights on. So you're just kind of trying to navigate your way through a dark room. Remembering where you left your shoes out that you weren't supposed to leave out. Remembering everything that's on the floor, remembering where the bed kind of juts out so you don't hit your leg. And man, I never remember any of that. So I'm always tripping over shoes that I leave out that I'm not supposed to leave out. Hitting my bed or my knee on the bed frame. Walking in the dark isn't easy. But have you noticed that if you can just pull out your phone, even the smallest of lights pierce through the darkness. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. A dark, dark world. Jesus says, I'm the light. God with us means that there's light for the lost. And there's a way for you and for me. There's three words that change everything. And those three words are God with us. 
Jesus, Emmanuel. And what does that mean? It means that there's hope for the helpless, restoration for the rebellious, and light for the lost. And as we close this morning, I want to read you I want to read you something that Pastor Adam Ramsey wrote about Christmas. He says, Christmas means revolution. Christmas means miracle. Christmas means that God has come for us. The King of heaven exchanged his throne for a cradle. The Almighty swaddled himself with vulnerability. The Creator entered into his own creation. The author put himself on the page. The infinite became an infant. The giver became the gift. Jesus arrived as Emmanuel, God with us. Now listen, Jesus doesn't just pierce through the darkness. He came to defeat it. Jesus isn't just some celebratory holiday. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Christmas isn't just about the, the lights and the presents and the gathering with families and the Christmas carols. And man, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you shouldn't enjoy that and have fun with that. I'm saying that my hope for us is that we can sit still during this season, that we can drop an anchor and that we can truly understand what it means when we see Jesus came. It's God with us. Not that we have a surface level understanding. And because there's a lot of times that people ask, hey, do you know what the reason of Christmas is? Like, yeah, Jesus was born. Man, and that's great. But do you get it? Do you truly understand what it means that Jesus was born? That Jesus left the throne to come down and he humbled himself. And he served people. He humbled himself and he, he was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was made fun of. He was spit on. The King of Kings. The Savior of the world. And despite all of that, He still went to the cross for me and for you. And Christmas is more than the commercialization that we've made it. And my hope for us as a group of people, as a body of believers, is that we can truly take hold of the meaning of Christmas. That we know that and God with us is more than just a fancy saying, but it's hope, it's restoration, it's light. Salvation.
That's what Christmas is about. And yeah, I mean, we got some fancy garland on the rails. And I'm not against Christmas decorations and getting in the Christmas spirit. But man, if the spirit doesn't focus on Jesus, we're missing it. Jesus wants to change our lives. Jesus wants us to continue chasing after him. So I pray that as we go through this Christmas season together, that we continuously chase after Jesus. And that we know that he loves us. And then in the midst of the chaos and the anxiety and the fear and whatever emotion or whatever circumstance you're going through, God shows up. Man, and Santa Claus is just a, he's, he's been made a staple in our culture and that's fine. But I pray that we don't forget the Savior. Man, at my house, the elf on the shelf is a, is a big hit. Man, the kids are just intrigued by all the different cool things that the elf does. But here's the deal. Christmas is not about the elf on the shelf. It's about an eternal value that doesn't just show up one time a year. But it's hope for the future. It's hope for a changed life. It's hope because God not only was with us, but he's still with us. So as we close this morning, I'm just gonna ask you to stand with me. I just wanna pray with you and I want you to pray for those around you. Let's pray together for one another this morning. Let's pray that during this Christmas season, we don't just say that we understand the reason for the season, but we truly grab hold of that and we live it out and we walk it out every single day. Let's pray. God. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.